0: The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. This Gospel of Mark is short; it's to the point. It's uh, it doesn't elaborate a lot on as some of the other Gospels do, which doesn't make it any less or any greater than the others. But I just think it's a very sweet Gospel, and as I said. We, we understand from history that Mark wrote this gospel, certainly it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but the factual historical circumstances are that Peter most likely dictated it to Mark while Peter was in prison, uh, not long before Peter died a martyr's death. I can just see Peter saying, let me tell you, let me tell you about Jesus. You notice the very first words out of his mouth, the gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If that's not the first words out of our mouths in this church, if that's not the forefront of our minds, the thought that's in the forefront of our minds that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then we're missing the point and we're going to have problems in this church. I know that you keep that in your mind. I know you do because you, you show it to one another through the love that you, that you shed, that shed abroad in your hearts that you share with everyone else. But that must be our primary focus. Last time we met, and I preached on this, uh, we were talking from chapter 9 about some, some implications of the cross. Jesus was slowly and surely and gently leading his disciples uh, toward Mount Calvary. He was, they didn't know why he came. They thought he was going to be a war leader. They had bought into some of the same teachings that the Pharisees had been teaching, that the Messiah is coming to lead us out of Roman bondage. And they didn't understand that the Messiah was not coming to lead them out of Roman bondage, but to lead them out of the bondage of sin by dying for them. You see, their idea of a successful Savior was a war leader who would right at the forefront of a great army and would uh, liberate them in this life. But the true idea of the, of the successful Savior is the suffering Savior on the cross who would lead every single one of His children out of the bondage of sin into the liberty of everlasting life. And that's the difference. They didn't get that. But Jesus had begun in chapters 8 and 9 to start telling them, hey, the Son of Man has got to suffer. The Son of Man has got to die. And, and there's some, because of the, the, the true way of Christ, because of the true teachings of Christ, there are some implications from the cross that are going to affect you here and now. That's so much of what the gospels are about, is about the gospel kingdom here and now, you see. Not just heaven, that's certainly, certainly pointing us to heaven, but there's a gospel kingdom here and now. And the, 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 the principles of the kingdoms of this world don't work in the gospel kingdom. They don't work. Last time we talked about one of the implications of the cross is that true greatness is achieved totally different than the way the world teaches it. Instead of the pyramid where that, uh, that, that you rise to the top by reaching the pinnacle of the pyramid so that all these people are serving you, and, you're, and the definition of your success and your greatness is how many people serve you. Instead of that, in the kingdom of God, you invert the pyramid, and, it's, and, and if, you can, if you can claw your way to the bottom. <laughs> you ever heard that, clawing your way to the top? In the kingdom of God, it's clawing your way to the bottom. And, and instead of having all these people serving you, the, the, the question of greatness in the kingdom of God is how many people do you serve? If you can reach that pinnacle on the bottom, you'll be the greatest in the kingdom of God. He taught, he taught that. And they didn't get that. They didn't understand that. They, the reason we know that is they continued to argue over who was greatest. <laughs> they continued to do that. But he taught them these lessons. And today in chapter 10, he, he brings us a little, he brings the disciples and us along a little farther in some, in some of these, teaching us some of the implications of the cross. And, and I know chapter 10 deals with the first 16 verses deal with marriage and children. I understand that those are the primary, that, that's, that's what he's using here to, to talk about. That's what he's talking about. But, I want to say to you this morning that what these lessons are really about is not so much marriage and children as the right attitudes in the kingdom of God. And it's a true lesson about legalism versus love. So let's let's talk about that for a minute. Verse Mark chapter 10 and verse 1. And he arose from thence and cometh into the coasts of Judea by the farther side of Jordan, and the people resort unto him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. i got to stop there and say this. Aren't you so glad that Jesus teaches us again over and over? He doesn't just say, okay, here it is. You got it. And if, you did, if you missed it that time, it's too bad. I've been involved in some organizations where that's the case, where where you have sort of a boot camp, so to speak. Some have literally been to boot camp, and if you don't get it that first time, so there's punishment waiting. But praise God, Jesus Christ is so patient and loving and merciful to us that he teaches us over again. And it says, as he was wont. That is, that was his characteristic, that was his habit, that was his way of doing things. He taught them again. And now look at verse two. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? Right here we have a lesson in asking the wrong question. Asking the wrong question. Notice what he said. Is it lawful? Is it lawful? Now, now first of all, you notice at the end of the verse it says they were tempting him. They really weren't after any kind of persuasive argument that would help them understand something. They were actually trying to trap him into taking sides in an argument that had been going on there among the Pharisees and the Sadducees and different ones that took different approaches to the, to the issue of marriage and divorce. That word tempt means to test maliciously or to be crafty. And the idea is trying to catch him in error or pin him down in a way that I hate to say it, a lawyer would a witness on a stand, okay? In cross-examination, I've done it many, many times. My, my goal wasn't to find out information. My goal was to pin the guy down, <laughs> you know. I was trying to lock him into their testimony, you see. And that's what they're doing here to Jesus. They're trying to tempt him. And they ask the wrong question. Listen, how many times do we ask the wrong question? Is it lawful? In other words, where's the line? How far can I go? Right. See, that's, that's the problem with legalism. Legalism is the enemy of the kingdom of God. Legal, what is legalism? Legalism is, is saying, I'm going to adhere to the letter of the law, even if it kills me. <laughs> You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna adhere. To the, all I care about <clears throat> is, is the letter of the law. And if I can just stay in the letter of the law, it doesn't matter where my heart is. I heard a story one time about a young, young child, eight or ten years old, and one of the punishments his mother would, uh, uh, would have him was to, would have uh, impose on him, would make him go sit in the corner. If he'd done something wrong, he'd go sit in the corner. And she got on to him, and she sent him to the corner, said. You go over there and sit in the corner till you learn your lesson. He went over to the corner and he folded his arms and he sat down and he said, Mama, I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up in my heart. <laughs> See, the problem we have sometimes is he was adhering to her the letter of her law, but in his heart, oh, he was, he was not, he was standing up, jumping up and down, kicking and screaming, no doubt, in his heart. <laughs> See, too often we ask that question. We, we say, you know, I like what I see over the line. So let me get as close to the line as I can. Let me get right up to it. How close can I get to it and still be okay? You know, uh, well, I technically didn't lie. <laughs> you know, I technically didn't do anything to harm this person. But you see, the problem is God's not a God of technicalities. God's not a God of legalism. Legalism is the enemy of the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus put this kind of thinking to rest, didn't he, in the Sermon on the Mount? Back over in Matthew chapter 5, listen to what he said in verse 27. See, now remember, these are Pharisees that are asking him these questions. Is it lawful? Is it lawful? Where's the line? Let me me know where it is so I can tow the line. But notice what Jesus said in chapter 5 of Matthew in verse 27. Uh, He said, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, Jesus is not contradicting the law. The law says that. You shall not commit adultery. What Jesus is doing is elaborating on the law, not contradicting the law. And he says, But I say unto you. (laughs) When Jesus says something like this again, he's not contradicting what Moses said or what was written in the scriptures. He's saying to you, though, Hey, there's something more than just this letter of the law at stake here. He said, I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. The Pharisee said, I want to get as close as I can to the line. So can I look? Can I talk? Can I text? Can I flirt? You know somebody said before it's just a little innocent flirting. Let me tell you something there is no such thing. There is no such thing. Jesus said when you look in your heart and lust when you look upon a woman and lust in your heart you have committed a, you have broken the spirit of the law. You may not have done like David did and taken Bathsheba and murdered her husband, but you might as well have from an eternal sense because you have broken the spirit of the law you know he said he also he said later on in that sermon on the mount he said except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the pharisees and the sadducees you'll in no wise enter into the kingdom of god that doesn't mean you got to be better than them to get to heaven but that means that you better not be a legalist and think you can enjoy the kingdom of god you're just going to cause problems in the church if you're a legalist Okay. Now, let me, let me say this too, and Brother Buddy will back me up on this, that doesn't mean there are no rules. There are things you and I both can do that would subject us to the discipline of this church. If I went out and committed a public offense particularly, I did something uh, you know, that was well known in the community that brought shame and reproach on this church, then guess what? You should deal with me and you must deal with me in love with a view toward restoring me. But, but there, there, it's not that, you know, I've said before, anything goes is not the theme song of the church. But legalism is the enemy of the church, and any time we get into that, we're going to have problems. You see, the opposite of that is love. Love is the lifeblood of the kingdom of God. And here Jesus gives a perfect example of an area where legalism fails and love wins, and that's in our marriages. So let's talk about that for a minute. The Pharisees came to him, verse 2, and asked him, is it lawful? for a man to put away his wife, tempting him. And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? I love the fact that Jesus always refers everybody back to the Scriptures. <laughs> He's, every time. Even, the, even Satan. You know, Jesus is the embodied capital W Word. He's the embodied Word of God. He could have made something up off the top of his head when he was being tempted by Satan. And, and guess what? It would have it, it been true, it would have been correct, and it would have been perfect, but he didn't do that. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. He says, what did Moses say? Go back to the scriptures. And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. <laughs> now, he's refer, they're referring back, and I, let's just turn back there just for a minute to Deuteronomy chapter 24, because I don't want to skip any. I don't want to belabor this, because really the lesson's not about marriage here. But it is and it isn't. I'll put it that way. The primary primary thought is about legalism. But in chapter 24 of Deuteronomy, Moses wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. This is the principle that Jesus is referring back to. Said, you know, They said, well, Moses suffered us to write a bill of divorcement. Now, notice, uh, let, me, let me just say this about, about that. It says, the reasons are she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some uncleanness in her. Uh, literally, that uncleanness means something dishonorable, something shameful. But it's not really elaborated on. It's not really gone into there. In the day that Jesus was being questioned, there were two schools of thought primarily among the Jews about divorce and remarriage. There was a great rabbi named Hillel which said that anything anything which displeased the husband would allow him to put her away. Now, you men kind of, some of you nodding right there. No, I'm just kidding. They're not nodding for those of you on Zoom. I'm just kidding. They're not. Uh, but, but the idea of she's a bad cook, you know, uh, uh, she, she doesn't clean the house uh, like she should. Literally, those were reasons that they would allow, uh, that Hillel, his school of thought, would allow a man to put away his wife. Now, there was another, there was another rabbi named Shemaiah, which, uh, which believed that it was only in strictly limited circumstances, and it primarily in, in areas regarding sexual impurity, that you could put away your wife. So which is it? Which is it? Is it Hillel's or is it Shammai's? I think I'm going to go with Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. Now, Now that doesn't mean it wasn't inspired by God. That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying this is wrong. He's saying though that there is a reason that Moses gave you a writing of divorcement. And he said, guys, it's not a marriage problem. It's a heart problem. It's a heart problem, okay? The hardness of your heart is the problem. Listen, that word literally, it's a compound word in the Greek that that means, of course, heart, uh, cardia on one hand, but the other part of that word means dry, or hard, or tough, or, or fierce, stern, almost carrying the idea of angry. Boy, that, that perfectly describes a legalistic husband or wife, doesn't it? You've got my rules, these are my rules, and you're going to follow my rules, if you break my rules, there's no quarter, there's no mercy, there's only punishment. What a legalistic approach. And you know what the the problem of legalism is? It's hardness of heart. And by the way, notice again, the problem is not with the law. There's nothing wrong with with God's uh, provision for marriage. The problem is with us. Now, no divorce ever happened that wasn't due to the hardness of a heart. Maybe just one spouse. Maybe it was just one spouse who became hardened to the other, to the other spouse. Maybe it was both spouses. I don't, but hardness of heart, and, and by the way, eventually the wronged, the wronged spouse, uh, I'm sure, ended up with a hard heart. Every situation I've ever seen, a hardened heart against the ex. See, it, it all goes back to the heart, beloved. I've seen this situation, a marriage, for example. Where a husband was out to catch the wife, out to get the wife, catch her in financial problems, catch her in some other issue, rather than being out to love the wife and out to to restore the wife and out to help the wife and to show show love to him, Jesus says, "What did Moses say?" They told him, and he said, "You know why he said it? Because." You guys are hard-hearted, and you know, listen, I'm telling you, I'm talking to everybody in this room, including me. Did you know we're all hard-hearted sinners in our flesh? Did you know that? Let me tell you something. I don't care where you are in a relationship, in your marriage, with your spouse, with children, with friends, with fellow church members, those at work. You better be careful because you are a hard-hearted individual. You know how I know that? Well, the Bible says it, but I also know it by experience because I am a hard-hearted individual. I struggle. The, more I, the older I get, I'm telling you, Brother Mackie, the older I get, the harder I struggle with it. Someone does me wrong. They do something, especially if it's something that compounds over and over, and it gets to the point I don't want to have anything to do with them. I don't want to show mercy to them. I want to see them get what's coming to them. We all can get there, beloved. We all can. Jesus said it's hardness of heart. That's a problem. That's the foundation of legalism. And then listen to what he says. He refers them back to Moses, but then he refers them back further. Okay? He goes back to the creation. From the beginning... Verse 6, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Over in Matthew's gospel, when he's talking about this issue of, uh, of divorce and remarriage and the hardness of heart, he, says, he makes this statement, which Mark doesn't include here. He says, from the beginning it was not so. I want to tell you, beloved, <laughs> there's a lot of things in this world today that from the beginning it was not so. We, we sang that song, Babylon is Fallen. Oh, I'll be so glad when Babylon is fallen, because Babylon is ruling right now. Babylon is in control right now. And I know it's not above God. I'm not saying that, but I'm talking about in the visible aspects of this world out there. Babylon is in control. Beloved, sometimes Babylon controls me. Sometimes it controls you. Maybe it's, maybe it's because you get angry at Babylon and respond without, in regard to the love that we ought to be responding with in the Bible. Maybe it's... Maybe it's you just like some of the things Babylon's doing. And it pulls you away. It does me. From the beginning it was not so. There's a place over in the book of Acts, I believe it's the 13th chapter, where the statement is made of the apostles. They they said, these that have turned the world upside down have come unto us also. You know the truth? That's a wrong statement. You know that? Actually, what they were doing is setting the world back right side up. If you've got something that's already upside down and you turn that upside down, you've negated it, you put it back right. And that's what the gospel does. That's what Brother Buddy was talking about in the church here. That's what we try to do every Sunday is give ourselves another vision of the right-side-up world that we ought to be living in that's not out there right now. Jesus says, from the beginning, it was not so. Remember the very good creation? Did you know that marriage... Beloved, it is so important to God that it's the only institution that survived the fall of Adam. God created marriage when He created Eve from the rib of Adam, and He gave her. He performed the first marriage, if you will. There, Je- Jesus, Jesus showed us how important it is because He did His first miracle at a marriage, at a wedding. In Cana of Galilee, and and and, and there's a statement, made. I'm not going to turn back there because of the lack of time, but back in Genesis chapter 2, after after God creates Eve and gives her to Adam, Adam says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. You notice what he's saying there? The marriage relationship is, is more important than the blood relationship between parent and child. I think I'm not related to my wife we don't have a blood relationship and yet I'm to I'm to cleave to her over my own parents who are the closest to me the closest blood relationship you can ever have is the relation between parent and child even my brother I guess unless I'm a twin you know I don't have as close a blood relationship to my brother as I do my parents and yet God said that that relationship is, to take, is not to take precedence over marriage. Rather, the marriage relationship is to take precedence over that one. Cleave. That means to be glued together. The marriage institution survived the fall of Adam. We know this because that statement about cleaving to your wife is repeated three more times in the New Testament. Mark's gospel, right here, verse 7, for this cause Shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh? So then they are no more twain but one flesh. He also repeats it in Matthew chapter 19 and over in Ephesians chapter 5. Kind of sounds like a permanent relationship, doesn't it? He says, What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. This is not about marriage and divorce really here. This is about legalism versus love. And it's just a good example of where legalism completely fails, and love always works. Asking the wrong question. Now, as we as we continue on in this in this uh, section, he says in verse thirteen. After he's talked about divorce and marriage and legalism and the approach that should be a, uh, you should go, to, uh, you should have when dealing with with your relationship, especially in your marriage. Then, you know, the the Pharisees asked the wrong question, okay? The Pharisees asked the wrong question, is it lawful? Well, now we're about to see that the disciples are acting with the wrong spirit. The disciples acted with the wrong spirit. These are not the Pharisees, these are the disciples. And notice what happens, they brought young children unto him that he should touch them. What's wrong with that? That, that, Isn't that sweet? Isn't that a sweet sight to to think about? Think about the young children. Think about, we have some young children in our congregation. We have have some that were young and are now older, but think about how sweet it is to see those young children brought to Jesus. And, And yet his disciples, not those that were standing about, not these are followers of Jesus, rebuked those that brought them. They, they, they literally stood up and said, stop it. Don't bother the master. Leave him alone. Uh, he's too busy doing the work of the kingdom to fool with your children. <laughs> Let me tell you, beloved, I, I can't even imagine that. <laughs> now, they may, have had, they may have had perfectly good reasons. I know kids are noisy. I know kids are annoying. I'm sorry, guys. I love y'all. But y'all could be annoying when y'all were little, you know? I mean, they, they were rambunctious. They were disturbing. I can remember one time. I wish Austin was here so he could hear this. Maybe he'll pick it up sometime. But I, I can remember one time at another church, I was up speaking, and uh, Sherry was homesick with one of the younger children, and Austin and Meredith were there. And uh, and 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 I looked down, and they were sitting right over there about three or four rows, maybe two rows behind Mackie there. And here I see Austin on his forehead, on his all fours, crawling out into the aisle. right out. Only time I ever had to call any of my children down from the stand i had to stop and say austin go back in he looked up and went back in not long later he did it again but that's you know he got a spanking for it too but uh, but uh but but they're they're you know i get it kids are distracting they're distracting they they make noise they, they they're rambunctious i can't have these kids disturbing our worship with the lord <laughs> We can't have these children coming in here we're we're trying to learn about the kingdom we're trying to learn about the love oh lord teach us some more about love shut those kids up you know i mean that's what that's what we're seeing here I'm telling you, beloved, if I can't out preach a baby crying, I'm not much of a preacher. Okay, that's just the bottom line. I realize that we have a cry room and we have I I get it. I'm not saying that there's it's not appropriate to take a crying child out. I understand that. But what I'm saying to you is, is that if you don't have any other option but to bring that baby in here to stay in here with that baby, stay in here. I'll preach over him. (laughs) My goodness, I love to hear the children these disciples were saying don't don't bother the master with the children now let me tell you something you think about Jesus as a loving savior and he is you think about him as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief but there were times that Jesus got angry there was a time when he went to the temple we're going to get to that point and they were doing things in the temple that they shouldn't have been doing and he got angry and he ran them out with a scourge of cords. We're fixed to read about another place right here where Jesus was mad. He was not happy. It says, when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. That word carries a connotation of indignation. I want to tell you, beloved, I'd hate for Jesus to be much displeased. I'd hate for him to just be displeased with me, much less much displeased. <laughs> The discipleship of children is important to the Lord Jesus Christ. And these, these disciples were acting in the wrong spirit. Order was more important to them uh, 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 than, than the love that ought to be present in the kingdom of God. You know, we ought to do all things decently and in order. But I'll tell you, the kingdom of God by its very nature is a messy place. There are things that happen from time to time that we need to be willing and able to roll with the flow. I don't mean disruptions to our services and all that. But, you know, we've had situations here in this church where where someone got sick and we stopped the services. You know, it would be, it would be a whole lot better if we said, just ignore it. It'll go away and we'll just keep preaching and we'll worship the Lord. Lord, thank you. You know, I mean, what, what good is that? We need to stop sometimes and realize that the worship of God is not some orderly, legalistic, uh, some, kind of thing that, that can't vary from beloved we need to understand that it's all about the love that God showed to us and that we ought to show to one another and no I am not I am not trying to preach some kind of craziness or disorder in the church but I'm telling you beloved when we get to the point where we forbid little children to come to him We got problems. We got problems. See, they were acting in the wrong spirit, and Jesus got upset about it. You know, I I don't our time's about gone. I don't want to get too off track, but just understand that the discipleship of children is so important. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, Remember now thy creator, when? When you get older, after you get to the point where you can You can sit down and be quiet. No. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. In the days of thy youth. He told Timothy, he said, Timothy, don't let any man despise thy youth. Sometimes we take young preachers and we just shun them and set them to the side and don't encourage them. I'm so thankful for you as a church. There's so many young preachers, including John Morgan. I believe he'd tell you the same thing uh, that others have said that that have been encouraged by coming to Zion Primitive Baptist Church. In fact, I I I'm so I'm not, I don't say this to boast. I don't say this to brag except to boast on the Lord. I've heard brother Ricky Harcrow tell other preachers said, "You if you think you're called to preach, you need to go to Zion, and if you can't preach at Zion, you're not called to preach." <laughs> he said, "I've always had liberty here. Always had had a sweet spirit here." Beloved, that's the kind of spirit we need to continue and to encourage. You see, Jesus is saying, He says, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. If you ever outgrow your childhood, if you ever get too high and mighty to remember the helplessness and the dependence of being a child, then you don't belong in the kingdom of God. It will not benefit you and you will not benefit anyone else. You know, see, that's the characteristic of being a child, isn't it? You're helpless. My children, you know, it's just only been the last few years that Mason's been able to drive. You know, what are you, 19, three, two or three years ago, three or four years ago, you know, he's finally a little bit independent. Well, a little more than that, I'm sorry. But uh, but think about when they were little, they were crawling around. Uh, uh, Sister Rachel just had her baby. How crazy would it be for Sister Rachel to go put her baby in the car and strap it up in the car seat in the driver's seat and say, hey, run down to the store and get you something to eat. I know you're hungry. <laughs> that baby can't do that. That'd be crazy. You'd think you'd, call the, you'd call the Department of Human Resources on her for doing something like that. But beloved, let me tell you. That's the kind of attitude we need to remember in the kingdom of God. We are helpless. We are helpless. And because we're helpless, we're totally dependent on our parents. Well, guess what? Spiritually speaking, you, my friend, are helpless. You, my friend, are hopeless. You, my friend, are completely dependent on your Father. God the Father, your elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I know Peter should have gone with Jesus to the cross. I know he should have. He shouldn't have forsaken him and fled. He should have, he shouldn't have denied him, he should have gone there. But even if he had gone there, Peter was helpless. To put away even one of his sins. Even if he had died there. Which he, as he ought to have. And, and as we ought to lay down our lives. In service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just remember beloved. We are helpless. To put away one sin. That we've ever committed. And when you come to the kingdom like that. Jesus said. Verily I say unto you. Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God. As a little child. He shall not. Enter therein. We, don't, we won't go back there, but go back and read the Sermon on the Mount sometime. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. The constitution of the kingdom of God. The, the ground rules of the kingdom. Blessed are the proud in spirit? No. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. A little baby hungers and thirsts when he's born. And the only place he can get refreshment is from his mother, from his parents. And then, just just understand, you see, as we said before, legalism, which is what those disciples, you know, the Pharisees were legalistic. Is it lawful? But the disciples were being legalistic. Don't bring these kids. We're too busy worshiping. It's the enemy of the kingdom of God. Legalism will destroy the church, beloved. Just well did I start, start to say, just try it. Don't try it, okay? I'm sorry. It's a figure of speech, okay? Figure of speech. Don't try it. Because if you try it, I promise you, you will lose. And you will lose what you have here. We, what we have here is sweet because you see, love is the is the lifeblood of the kingdom. Love is that which infuses the kingdom. It's that which gives us strength. It's that which gives us the ability to go on. Beloved, we've had a lot of tragedy over the past few weeks. We've had a lot of troubles over the last few weeks. And you know where I find rest and support and peace and hope? It's right here with you. I don't find it out in the world. When I drive down to Montgomery, I'm not driving down there thinking, I can't wait to get down here and get around all these politicians. Now, I, I dread that, beloved. I look forward to coming right here to this place, to seeing one of you. Brother James mentioned that Brother Roger came by. He came by my house, too, the same day, I believe it was. It was so good to see Brother Roger. It was so good to see uh, some of y'all. I got to talk to Brother Ed via uh, via um, uh, over the phone the, uh, yesterday and got to see, and I'm getting to see their faces here. Here today, man. It's so good to see you. When I see you somewhere, or when I walk in this door, it's the love that binds us together. Jesus said, "Oh, the world, I know you by how right you are, <laughs> by how orderly your services are. No, by how much you love one another. And by the way, you better love each other like I loved you." He said, "See, that's the implications of the cross. Is that there's a new kind of love out there? I mean, it always existed." but they just didn't understand it. It's a self-sacrificial love. It's a love that promotes others above yourself. It's a love that even loves your enemies. say, I don't feel good toward my enemies. That's okay. You don't have to feel good toward them, but you have to treat them right because love is not a feeling. Love is an action. Love is a way you act. And look look at verse 16. I just get nearly tearful when I see some of these things that the Lord does. Now remember, this is not not bare words on a page. This is not a a storybook tale. Picture in your mind the Lord Jesus Christ surrounded by these children that are being forbidden to come to Him, being questioned by these Pharisees, seated somewhere in, in in the area of Judea, a real living person sitting there and it says, and he took them, the children, he took them up in his arms and put his hands on them, Bless them. He didn't do that to the disciples, did he? They weren't in the right spirit. He didn't do that to the Pharisees. They were asking the wrong questions. He took those little children that didn't know any better. They didn't have, they weren't doctrinally sound. They weren't, they weren't indoctrinated with the truths of God's word. They didn't even know about salvation by grace, probably. Some of them were too small, no doubt, to understand what was happening. And Jesus took them up in his arms and held them. That gives me great hope. Because there's a lot of times when I don't act like I should. I, some of those kids had probably been fussing with their brothers and sisters that morning. They'd probably taken a toy away from one of them. They'd probably disobeyed their parents, and Jesus took them up in His arms, and He blessed them. Some of the times I need blessing the most is when I've been the most disobedient. Oh, the Lord does so good to me. He's so good to us as His children. He just takes us up in His arms. Sometimes we don't deserve it, but I am helpless. I can't work my way into this. These children didn't work their way into His good graces. They just came into his presence, and he folded them up in his arms. So, bringing this all to a close, this is the most important point I want, probably that I want to leave you with today. The purpose of Jesus here, he is teaching us the proper attitudes for success in the kingdom of God. Successful kingdom living depends on love, not legalism not legalism don't ask that question how far can I go ask the question Lord how far do you want me to go in loving my brother sister not how far you know where's the line so I can get right up to it Lord Lord what do you want me to Paul said what wouldst thou have me to do I'll go I'll go farther so so you're suing me for my for my coat well let me let me give you my coat and I'm gonna grab my cloak and I'm gonna give it to you too so you, you just slap me upside the head, <laughs> I'll turn my cheek, slap me on this side too. I'll take it, I'll take whatever it is that you dish out because the Lord took whatever that Satan dished out on the cross for me and he did it when I didn't deserve it. Praise God. The implications of the cross. Legalism won't work. Love always works. We don't just toe the line in the kingdom of God and legalistic service. Rather, we seek to serve as He served in love for one another, even toward our enemies or toward those that can't return the favor. Praise God for these glorious truths that are implications of the cross. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.